Having a strong feeling of or showing annoyance, displeasure, or hostility, aroused by hunger, a state of anger caused by lack of food. So accurate. Um, I myself have been a hangry individual from time to time. In fact, I've had to apologize to Christopher on numerous uh, events for things I said when I was hungry. The most recent example of me being ridiculously hangry was actually just like, I don't know, like a week ago, a few days ago, there were a few of you over at my house and we were playing The Resistance. We were gonna get pizza before we started the game because it was like five o'clock, that's dinner time, okay? Five, 5.30, that's when I eat. No, we decided we're gonna go ahead and start the game. 5.30, six o'clock, seven, eight, 8.30, no pizza we're still playing the resistance. And I kid you not, this is the longest game of resistance I've ever experienced in my life. And we own the game, we've played it a lot, okay? So nobody could figure out, are we gonna put these people on this mission? We couldn't move from like round two. And all I could think about was pizza. In fact, I remember yelling, pizza, I want pizza, multiple times throughout the game because that is the only thing that I could even comprehend at the time, okay? The game went on and on and on, and finally around 8.30, it finished. And you know what? My team lost, and I didn't care at all because it was pizza time. And Christopher went and got pizza, and I was among the first few to take a nice, big, loving bite of pepperoni pizza, and my hangriness subsided, right? That's an example of hangry. All of that to say, hungry people are desperate people, right? That was pretty desperate. All I wanted was pizza. All I could think about was pizza. I didn't care about anything or anyone else around me. All I wanted to do was eat, okay? So hungry people are desperate people. So imagine what it would be like to put all of that energy that we get when we're hangry towards being that desperate towards God, that hungry for God. Well, that's where fasting comes in. That's what we're gonna talk about today. It's part of the Stuff Christians Do series. So. What is fasting? I'm sure maybe you've heard it from like some sort of church event or maybe someone spoke about it before, but really what is it? Generally speaking, it's just not eating food for a period of time. Like if you ever had surgery or a medical procedure, a lot of time the doctor will tell you four hours before your procedure or the night before your procedure, you don't eat anything except you can drink water and sometimes like black coffee or something. So that's what fasting is in a general sense. It's just not eating anything except water. But biblical fasting is a little different. Let's talk about what it is and what it is not. What it is not, I want to stress these two things. It is not just abstaining from food. It's not just not eating, okay? The second thing is, it's not just for super spiritual people, like, ooh, Mother Teresa did that, or, you know, Pastor Charlie, or those people that are super in tune with the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. It's not just for super holy people in life. Okay, so what is it? So it's not just abstaining from food. It is refraining from food for a spiritual purpose. So not just not eating not eating for a spiritual purpose. And second of all, it's not just for super spiritual people, it's for every Christian. Why? Because it's a normal part of having a relationship with the Lord. Hmm, a normal part. Why aren't we doing it then? 
well, I don't know. We should probably work on that. Why is it a normal part? Why should it be a normal part of your Christian life? Well, let's look at Matthew 6. This is when Jesus is giving the famous Beatitude speech. And essentially what the Beatitude speech is, Jesus is giving a list of radical instructions to people. And by that, I mean they had an understanding of how life worked and how the law works and all of this. And Jesus said, oh, you think it goes that way? Actually, I'm going to turn that upside down and it goes this way. And he was saying radical things. During that speech, he addressed three areas of Christian living that we should all be involved in. And he spoke radically about them. He talked about praying, giving, and fasting. Praying, giving, and fasting. Okay, so let's look at it. In verse 2, it says when you give. Verse 5, it says when you pray. And verse 16, it says when you fast. Okay, three pretty essential things. What's the common denominator here? It's the word when. Not if. Not if you feel like it. Not if maybe someday. It's when. All three of these are an essential part of Christian living. All three of these you should be making time for. Christopher talked about giving a few weeks ago. He talked about praying last week. We're talking about fasting this week because they're all essential. If you're making time in your life to pray, if you're making time in your life to give, you should also be making time in your life to fast, and I'm here to tell you why. Okay. Um, It should be, fasting should be just as important to you as giving and praying. So why? Why should we fast as Christians? Well, Probably the biggest thing is uh, Jesus fasted, and he's our example, right? In Matthew 4, there's the huge example of Jesus going out into the wilderness and fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. That's like a long time to go without food, right? Well, he did it. That's also the time that he was tempted by the devil. Um, So if Jesus takes this fasting thing so seriously, why wouldn't we? If Jesus decides that for 40 days and nights before he starts his full ministry that he's going to go and not eat and fast and pray and spend time alone with the Lord, why on earth would we not follow his example if he's supposed to be our ultimate example? Not only that, but he told the Pharisees who asked him, why aren't your disciples fasting right now? He told them that they will fast in Matthew 5. So his disciples weren't fasting at the time, but he said, well, they will be fasting and it's going to be after I leave. So who are we? Well, we're also his disciples. We should be fasting because Jesus even instructed his disciples to fast. So why should we fast? Because Jesus did, and he's our example, and because he instructed his disciples and us to fast as well. Okay, number two, why? Fasting keeps you sensitive to the Holy Spirit. So do you ever hear people say, the Lord spoke to me in this way, or I heard the Lord say this, or I really felt the Lord speaking to me in my life? Um, but you're kind of like, I don't, I don't know, how does, I don't know, what does God's voice sound like? You know, you're not really clear on what his voice sounds like in your life or how that works. Or do you desire to hear from God about specific things in your life, like concerning big decisions in your life, like where to go to college, what to do with your life, things like that? Well, let's see in Romans 12, 1 through 2, it says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. So, according to this scripture, when you present your body to God in this manner, in the manner of fasting, where it says, present your bodies as a living sacrifice, 
When you present your body to God by fasting, you open yourself up to hearing from him. And you open yourself to, like it says here, the transformation of and renewal of your mind so that you can discern his will, so you can hear from him. So he makes it clear when you take time to fast and seek him, he makes his voice clear up here, what he's saying to you from your humanness and what you are jumbling in with his voice and what you're trying to separate. He separates it for you. So where's an example in the Bible when someone said, I really need to hear from God, and then they fasted? and heard from him. Let's look at 2 Chronicles 20. This is the story of King Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah. He was in a critical situation where he desperately needed guidance from the Lord. So 2 Chronicles 20, 1 through 4, let's see what's going on. After this, the Moabites and Ammonites, and with them some of the Mayunites, came against Jehoshaphat. Jehoshaphat for battle. Some men came and told Jehoshaphat, a great multitude is coming against you from Edom, from beyond the sea, and behold, they are in Hazazon Tamar, that is, in Egdai. Then Jehoshaphat was afraid and set his face to seek the Lord and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. And Judah assembled to seek help from the Lord. From all the cities of Judah, they came to seek the Lord. So here's the situation. Judah the place that King Jehoshaphat is king of, is surrounded by a bunch of countries that decided they were going to attack. And it looked pretty dire for Judah. It was just kind of like, uh, I guess we're just going to be killed and defeated. It just looked pretty bad. So the king gathered all his people to fast and pray. Okay, so what happened? Second Chronicles 20, 13 through 17. Meanwhile, all Judah stood before the Lord with their little ones, their wives, and their children. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, son of Benaiah, son of Jael, son of Mataniah, really big on names here, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, in the midst of the assembly. And he said, Listen, all Judah and King Jehoshaphat. Thus says the Lord to you, Do not be afraid and do not be dismayed at this great horde, for the battle is not yours but God's. Tomorrow go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the ascent of Ziz. You will find them at the end of the valley, east of the wilderness of Jeruel. You will not need to fight in this battle. Stand firm, hold your position, and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not be afraid, and do not be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, and the Lord will be with you. All right, what does that mean? Well, they fasted, they sought God, and they prayed and God responded, okay? He responded by telling them through this prophet exactly where the army was, how they were going to approach, and how the people should respond in action. He told them exactly what they needed to do and exactly where this army was. So they fasted, God responded. Well, did he follow through with what he responded with? Second Chronicles 20, 22 through 25. And when they began to sing and praise, the Lord set an ambush against the men of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, who had come against Judah, so that they were routed. For the men of Ammon and Moab rose against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, devoting them to destruction. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, they all helped to destroy one another. When Judah came to the watchtower of the wilderness, they looked toward the horde, and behold, there were dead bodies lying on the ground. None had escaped. When Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, they found among them in great numbers goods, clothing, and precious things, which they took for themselves until 
They could carry no more. They were three days in taking the spoil. It was so much. So God not only responds and tells them, this is where they're going to be, and this is what you need to do. He says, don't worry, I'll take care of it. You don't even need to fight. And he literally fought for them. He sent an ambush so that all three of the armies killed each other. They just fought each other until they were all dead. And then guess what? The people of Judah came in there and just took everything home. They took all the victory home. Okay? So do you need God to tell you what to do at a time in your life? Do you have a critical decision or a situation that you need to hear from God? Like King Jehoshaphat? Obviously, the answer is to fast, worship, and seek him. The people of Judah didn't even have to fight. God fought for them. God will fight for you. And not only did God deliver them, he prospered them. Okay? It took them longer to carry all the spoils. It took them three days to carry back their victory. It took longer for them to carry everything back than it actually took for the battle to occur. I think God prospered them pretty well there. So in times of distress, when you need to hear the voice of God, press in like the people of Judah and King Jehoshaphat did, and God is faithful to deliver you and show you his plan. Okay, another reason. Fasting prepares the way for God to give you fresh revelation fresh vision, and clear purpose. So he's, fasting is a, is a way for God to freshen up your life, basically. Let's see, Mark 2, 18 through 22. Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, why did John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your, your disciples do not fast? They're talking to Jesus. And Jesus said to them, can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it, the new from the old, and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wineskin into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Okay, so first of all, what happens here is the Pharisees, or people come and say, uh, John's disciples, John the Baptist, his disciples fast and the Pharisees fast, but um, you're like this holy person and your disciples aren't fasting. What's up with that, Jesus? And Jesus says, boom, they don't need to fast. I'm already here with them. We're doing ministry together, and when I'm gone and they need to rely on my Holy Spirit and for my power, they'll fast then. So don't worry about it. Mind your own business. And then he uses this like weird wine and wineskin analogy where he says, no one puts new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. Okay, so the people during this time drank a lot of wine simply because their water was pretty diluted. So wine was a little better option for them. It was a bit more pure than the water that they had. So they also had these things called wineskins. They're basically the containers that they kept the wine in. However, every time you had new wine, you had to have new wineskins because if you put wine into old wineskins that were dried up, the new wine would burst them with all of the new fresh liquid and it wouldn't be able to hold it all and burst. And then you lost your wine and your wineskin. So Jesus is saying, in order for you to maintain and have new wine, you have to have new wineskins. How does that relate to fasting? Fasting is a way of refreshing. It's a way of gaining a new wineskin. It prepares you for a new filling, a new 
filling of the Holy Spirit of God's anointing in your life. So you have to put away this old wineskin, this old way of thinking and behaving and routine and prepare yourself for a new wineskin, a new refreshing, a new filling. If you want new wine, if you want new miracles, if you want new closeness, new intimacy with God, then it's time to fast and shed your old wineskin for the new. Along with that, sometimes we can just get in the same rut and routine without even realizing it, right? We do that. When you don't do what it takes to stay sharp to the Holy Spirit and sensitive to him, our praise and our worship and everything that we do supposedly for him can become heartless routines to God. And as a believer, as a Christian, you can pray, you can read your Bible, you can come to youth service, you can go to Sunday school, you can do all of those things week after week and still be losing sight of who God truly is in your life. And it's not that you don't love the Lord, but the busyness of life can bring you to the point of losing your freshness and your enthusiasm, your sensitivity to his, to his spirit and to what pleases him. So let's make this practical. Whose mom is a good cook? Do you have a good, did you, is your mom a good cook? Yes, my mom's a great cook. What are some things that she makes that are to die for? You love it, they're delicious. Olivia. Mmm, sugar's always good. I love dessert. Khalees. Oh my goodness, fried eggs and potatoes. That sounds awesome. Anastasia, I saw you over here. Chocolate gravy, what? I need to try this. Taylor. Lasagna, solid. Anyway, Aaron. McDonald's, there we go. John. Omelets, oh my goodness, what does she put in them? Everything. It just tastes good. Yeah, that's so good. My mom was a good cook too. I love eating my mom's food. I love going home and eating things that she prepares for me. Okay, so your moms are good cooks. I believe this. Say, your mom got so busy that she just made meatloaf every day for you because she was too busy to make anything else, okay? Yeah, meatloaf, everyone say. Yeah, meatloaf, day in, day out, every meal, breakfast, lunch, dinner, you're getting meatloaf. All right, all right, listen up. Let's, let's find out what happens with this meatloaf, okay? I need your attention. Okay, so if mom made meatloaf all the time, you know you would say this and I would say this when mom puts the plate in front of you. You'd say, what? Meatloaf again? Right? We would all be like, meatloaf again? Well, similarly, if we just continue to give God our routines and serve him up our meatloaf, I'm sure that he sighs and says, what? Religion again? Man, Meatloaf again? When we just continue to do what we're doing, when we just continue our routines and not really think about it or go into depth with our relationship with the Lord, it's just serving God our same old meatloaf. We got too busy to make him anything else but meatloaf, right? So fasting is a constant means of renewing yourself spiritually so you don't get to that point of just meatloaf all the time. You'll just say the same with your relationship with God, if you just continue your dispassionate religious service, you will, you'll just stay the same. But when you st take steps to break out of the ordinary, break out of your routines, 
and worship him as he deserves, you'll begin to see parts of his being you never even knew existed. He'll share his secrets with you. He'll, 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 he'll share things about himself you didn't even know, his plans, his desires for you, and you'll be so surprised and amazed. Okay, one more thing. Why should we, worship, why should we fast? <laughs> Mom, where's the meatloaf? That's funny. Good job, Christopher. We don't want meatloaf, though. Okay, last thing. Why should we fast? Because it magnifies God. Okay, magnify is like one of those words we sing in songs, and sometimes, you know, you hear someone say it when they preach and stuff. What does magnify really mean? Well, you all know what a magnifying glass is, right? What happens when you use a magnifying glass? When you put a magnifying glass up to something, it enlarges it, enlarges your view, so you can see details that you weren't able to see before, right? That's exactly what we're doing with God. We're magnifying him so that we see details of his person, of his character, what he has for us better than we were able to see before. And not only that, but when you magnify God, you make him bigger in your life. When you make God bigger in your life, you make other things smaller. You downsize yourself and your selfish desires. You make the power, the supposed power, of the devil in your life so much smaller when you just magnify and make God larger. Okay. So we know why now that we should fast. How does fasting go exactly? What does that look like? How should we fast? Well, I'll give you two types of fasting. Number one is the normal fast, which means you just don't eat or drink anything except water or clear juices. That's what a normal fast is. The second is a partial fast, which is just giving up particular foods for and drink for an extended period of time. Like you could give up soda or candy or bread or meat or something like that. The best example of this in the Bible is Daniel. If you've ever heard of the Daniel fast, raise your hand if you've heard of the Daniel fast. Yes, the Daniel fast is based on the story of Daniel when he was in captivity and he refused to eat the food that the king brought to him. And he said, no, can I please just eat vegetables and water? And that's what he did for like a long time. He ate just vegetables and water. And he was even healthier than everyone else that was eating all of these luxurious foods. Not only got that, but God prospered him like he prospered the people of Judah. And he was given a position of leadership and wisdom and knowledge in this land of captivity that wasn't his own. So, the best example of a partial fast is the Daniel fast, based on that story in the Bible. Okay, duration. What, how long? So, we can do a partial fast or a normal fast. How long did these last? Well, there's references in the Bible that say three days, seven days, 21 days, 40 days, half days, 24 hours. There's really no formula. I can't say, okay, let me know what's, what's going on. Okay, for this circumstance, you must fast for four days and you must eat no meat. That is the solution to your problem. No, there's no formula. I can't give you a specific day. I can't give you a specific way to fast. It's just dependent on you personally, your circumstances, and what you feel like the Lord's put on your heart. Also, something to remember about fasting. Fasting is a time for you to spend more time in prayer and in the word. This is the main point of fasting, okay? I cannot stress this enough. Fasting is not just not eating. It is not eating so that you can seek the Lord and spend that time in his presence, becoming closer to him, meditating on his word, praying and interceding for those around you. During this time that you forfeited food, you don't just sit in front of the TV or read a book or play a video game just because you're not eating. No, you're forfeiting your food for time to spend with the Lord, okay? If you've never fasted before, a good idea is to start slow. Like, 
one meal or one day or something like that. Don't bite off more than you can handle. Don't get pumped about fasting tonight and go home and tell mom and dad, tomorrow I'm starting a 40-day fast and all I'm doing is drinking water. I promise you, it's going to be tougher than you realize. And you know what? It's okay. Just start slow and kind of move however you feel, and eventually you'll, uh, you'll get to a point where you know how much you can or can't handle. Another thing is just jump in and start. We can always find an excuse to not start. Why? Because we can always find an excuse to eat, right? Snacks are my favorite part of the day, okay? We can always find an excuse not to start. The holidays are coming. It's someone's birthday next week. Someone invited me on a lunch date. Just jump in. When you just jump in and start and you find out what the, the benefits of fasting, you'll just want to do it more and more and more, I promise you. Another thing is drink lots of water. Just because you're not taking any food in doesn't mean you shouldn't be taking anything in. You should be drinking lots of water. It helps purify and sustain your body during this time. And the main point of fasting, besides it's meant to spend time with the Lord, is if it means something to you, it will mean something to God. If it doesn't mean anything to you, it won't mean anything to God. Let me s explain. Fasting soda really isn't a big deal to me because I don't drink a lot of soda. Fasting coffee, now that means a lot to me because I drink coffee every day. Every chance I can get, ask me out to coffee, I'm there. So to put that aside and spend the time that I usually spend drinking coffee in the presence of God and becoming closer with him, that would be a sacrifice for me. That would mean something to me. So if it means something to you, it's going to mean something to God. And don't compare yourself to what someone else is doing or you heard that someone else is doing the Daniel fast and you can't, you can't do that because you can't go without this or that food. It's okay. If it means something to you, it'll mean something to God. So one more thing about fasting that Jesus super, super stressed when he instructed us to fast. Keep it private. This is between you and God. The Bible shows Jesus praying privately so much more than praying publicly. So like we said, he's our example. Keep it private. In Matthew 6, 1, this famous beatitude speech that we talked about, Jesus addresses all three of giving, praying, and fasting. And what does he say about them? He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who's in heaven. Whew. He says, keep it to yourself. And then in Matthew 6, 16 through 18, where he specifically talks about fasting, he says, and when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. Fasting is a really intimate thing with God. It's between you and him. And when God says, do this in secret, he means it. And when he says he'll reward you in secret, he really means it. And sometimes the rewards become public, and that's okay because it's a result of you keeping your fasting relationship with the Lord between you and him. Okay, some things I want to clear up. I don't want you to have these misconceptions about fasting, what fasting is not. Number one, you do not fast to obtain merit with God or get rid of sin. There's only one way to do that, and that's through Jesus Christ. You know that. The only way for you to rid your sin is to ask Jesus for forgiveness and have him um, ask him into your heart. Okay? I do want to tell you, though, when you fast, 
it will bring up areas of compromise in your life and it'll shine light on places of sin that maybe you didn't even know existed. When you fast God and you become closer to God, his character becomes more clear to you. Those areas that don't match up with his character become more evident and obvious and God shows you where they are and how to fix them. Number two, fasting is not a Christian diet, okay? It's not a diet. First of all, I want to say, if anyone tells you, oh, no, no, that sounds really unhealthy, God would never tell us to do something that would harm our bodies, and he instructs us to fast. Medically, fasting is not unhealthy. Medically, fasting is fine for you. In fact, it, pu- it purifies your body when you don't put any toxins or processed food in it and just drink water for a while. So let's kick that one out. It's not going to hurt you. Um, But also with the whole diet thing, losing weight should not be your focus. Losing weight is obviously a side effect of not eating. But don't say, I'm going to fast so that I can lose those, you know, those five pounds for that, that beach party I'm going to in a month. No, that's not the point of fasting. If you're fasting that way, it's not fasting, it's just starving, okay? If you don't put prayer to your fasting, if you don't spend time with the Lord when you fast, you're just starving yourself. And that's not fasting. Number three, you do not fast so that others will notice you. And we kind of mentioned this previously. So a fast is not an opportunity to show others how deeply spiritual you are. Like the hypocrites, the Pharisees that Jesus talked about that like disfigured their face so everyone knew like, oh, they're fasting, like they're holy. That's not, that's not what you're supposed to do. But it is an opportunity to focus on others' needs. It's a time for you to discover what your neighbor, what your family member, what your friend, what your brother, what your sister, what your acquaintance is struggling with. And it's an opportunity for you to intercede for them and intervene in their life by taking time to pray to the Lord on a regular basis and fast for them. Okay. Um, really quick, I want to tell you, you know, we've seen how fasting is evident in the Bible and that we're instructed to do it. But I really want to give you a view of how fasting has practically impacted my life. Um, Fasting genuinely works, and I want to tell you why and how. The first story I want to tell you is of me when I was a baby. When I was born, my head would not grow, and my heart had an irregular heartbeat. And neither of these things fixed themselves. And eventually my parents asked the doctors what's going on. And they said, well, she'll never grow out of these things. She'll never be able to do much physical activity, like sitting up, standing, and walking would be a, a stretch. And her head not growing, my, they wouldn't tell my parents for a long time, and then finally they kind of forced them, and they said, that's a sign of mental retardation, and she's not going to grow out of either of those things. So my parents would not accept these things about their baby girl, and they took me to their church, and they partnered with people in the congregation, and they fasted and prayed for me. And they took me back to the doctor, and my head, like, and this was after months of checkups, months of checkups, and the doctors were like, solidly, this is not going to change. And after they fasted and prayed with their congregation, my head, like, exploded into growth. And my heart, there was nothing wrong with my heart. There was nothing wrong with my head. I was all caught up. I was a normal kid, and I was fine. And the doctor said, this is nothing short of a miracle. It's a miracle. So you know what? I graduated high school. I graduated college. There are no 
and there's no mental retardation in me. I ha played soccer, I regularly run and work out, and I don't have an issue with my heart acting up on me. I'm fine, I'm totally fine, and that's a result of my parents intervening in my life and fasting and praying. A second example, when I was a little older, I was a teenager, and I was choosing to live my life in rebellion against God and against my parents. And I actually didn't find this out until a few days ago. My dad fasted for me every Monday. He put aside food and fasted for me. He fasted that I would become a woman of God and that I would, my heart would be guarded. He fasted for my life. And I was ruining my life. And one day, I walked up the stairs and my dad said, Emily, come here, I want to talk to you. Okay. So I went over. He talked to me, and he said, Emily, I've been praying, and the Holy Spirit told me you've been sneaking out of our house at these times, and he told me that you're spending time with this boy, and it's not okay. The Holy Spirit told him. Nobody else told him, okay? And at that time, my family, my parents put boundaries on my life that I was not capable of putting on myself, and they put consequences in my life that I wasn't capable of enforcing for myself because they cared about me, because they prayed for me, and they fasted for me, and they asked God to work in my life. And you know what? It was really hard at the time because I was still in rebellion against them. And I was selfish, and I was mean to them, and I hated that they invaded my privacy, and I hated everything about it. But I look back, now 23 years old, at what they did for my life, and they literally saved my life. I would not be in front of you telling you this amazing story if they hadn't have taken fasting and praying seriously in my life. I'm so incredibly grateful to have parents who acted spiritually in that way for me. And the third story is personally me when I have fasted and prayed. One of my very best friends, I have three best friends, one of her, one of them, she was engaged to be married to this guy who is just terrible. He wasn't like obviously terrible to everyone. He was like secretly terrible. And I as a best friend knew about it, but not really anyone else. And he peer pressured her into doing a lot of things she shouldn't have been doing. And his family treated her terribly. And like, I remember instances where they called her names over the phone and over Skype when I was even in the room. It was awful. But she stayed with this commitment and she stayed engaged to him. And I knew this wasn't God's plan for her. This, this guy that she was engaged to is not following Christ. Jamie and I grew up in church, my best friend Jamie. We grew up in church together. I knew that she, you know, was a Christian, that she followed the Lord. And so, because I knew how effective my parents had been fasting and praying for my life, I fasted and prayed for hers. And nothing changed for a while, but then the summer that I really put my mind to it and said, this is a regular thing and I'm going to fast and pray for her. Not a month later, she called me and said, we broke up. And I said, Jamie, how do you feel about that? And she said, you know, I really feel at peace. Who feels at peace after a breakup, right? <laughs> That's not normal. And though she hurt and she went through this, these similar emotions that humans do when they when they sever a really close relationship with someone that they've had before. She was at peace, and she felt okay, and she told me, I know this is right. And when I told her that I had fasted and prayed for her, she couldn't be more grateful, and she still thanks me for it today because she is married to the most amazing, perfect man for her, and she's following the Lord, and she's doing amazing things in her life. 
And I don't know where her life would have been if she would have married this other guy. It would have been really hard. It would have been really difficult. But I said, no, I am going to fast and pray and seek the Lord so that her life can be different. And you know what? The Lord came through and he orchestrated events to the point where they broke up. And it was truly him. So, when you fast and pray and you genu genuinely seek God, he will reward you. And I speak to you from real life experience. He'll reward you during the time that you fast and even after the time that you fast. Altogether, you become closer to God in every way. And that's something I can't just speak or say or explain to you without you experiencing it. You just have to experience it to know how incredibly close and intimate and amazing it is to fast and pray and become that close to God and sensitive to his Holy Spirit and near to him in his presence. It's beyond words. You just have to experience it. And I want to stress once more, if it means something to you, it will mean something to God. So I want to challenge you. For these next three days, Thursday, Friday, and Saturday, I want to challenge you to fast together. And corporate fasting, which means people fasting together, is really a powerful thing. I mean, we saw it in the story of King Jehoshaphat and the people of Judah. Actually, I'm going to ask Joey to come up at this point. Um, so we saw it in King Jehoshaphat and the, and the people of Judah. All of Judah, all the people of Judah came and fasted and prayed together and God delivered them, they didn't even have to fight, and he prospered them. That's powerful. There's multiple examples in the Bible how corporate fasting is so impactful. And you know, there's even churches that I've heard stories of they, they do corporate fast together, and there's miracles and amazing, astounding things that result in their church because they do that together. So if you take this seriously, and if you fast with each other and with me for the next three days, I really truly believe something powerful will happen. If you want something different in your life, if you need a refreshing, if you need to hear from God, this is your chance for it. So number one, figure out what means something to you. Is it food? That's generally what fasting is. It could be a certain meal, maybe pop, soda, a certain food like bread or dessert or something like that. If you can't do food for some reason or another, what else is of importance to you. Do you like your TV? Do you like Netflix? How about your phone, Facebook, iPod, video games, internet? There's a lot of things that are important to us, right? What's something that's really important to you that you can sacrifice and fast for the next three days? And I want you to come back on Sunday and during Sunday school, I want you to give your amazing testimonies to Abigail, Christopher, and me. And you know what? Maybe something won't happen right away in those three days, but I promise you something will happen at some point later in your life if you are faithful to fast and pray. And I want you to figure out what you'd like to fast for. What are you going to pray about during these times of putting aside a meal or a TV show or a video game or whatever it is? Do you need direction from God in your life right now? Are you in a hard place that you need to hear from him? Is your friend or relative in a bad place like Jamie was? and they need some intervening from the Lord? Do you just want to pray for our youth group in general or pray for your family? Or you can just fast and pray to gain a closer relationship with God 
and he will reward you in areas you didn't even know about, that you didn't even think about. If you just say, I don't know what to fast for, but I want to be closer to you, God. So for the next few minutes, I really, uh, I want you to think about this. I want you to pray about it while Joey's praying, or playing up here. And then back in those two tables in the corner there, there are sheets of paper that say, for the next three days, I will fast. And it says, what? So what are you going to fast? Is it going to be food, TV, what? And why? What are you going to be praying for? Why are you fasting? Who are you fasting for? What are you fasting for? And once you've got it figured out, what you feel like the Lord's put on your heart, go ahead and go back there. And there's pens in that paper back there. And write down what it is that you want to fast and why you want to fast. And keep that with you these next three days as we all fast together. Bring it with you on Sunday. Bring it with you in your awesome things that you're going to tell us that God has done or is doing in your life because you decided to be faithful to him and fast and pray.